Hey, party people. Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out our other episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com. To this American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the TV show American Horror Story. I'm your host Tyler Moss here with my co-host Chris Houston. What's up, party people? This is our pilot episode. Um, we're really excited to be here doing this for you. We're both huge fans of American Horror Story. Got into it last season. Seemed like the perfect fit to jump in now because with the format of the show, it, you know, it basically resets and you need to have a new mini series every season. Um, the show, American Horror Story Season 2, nicknamed Asylum, is premiering on October 17th at 10 p.m. Eastern on FX. And what are we doing about it? We will be podcasting every episode, reviews about everything. We will break it down for you right here online every week after every episode. The good and um, the bad. The good and the bad. But first, we want to talk to you a little bit about uh, kind of why we got into this, um, what uh, we have in store in season two are kind of the actresses and actresses' expectations. Um, and uh, that'll kind of be our little preview here. So, Chris, I guess we go into it. Why did you start watching American Horror Story in the first place? Well, I was a big fan of the X-Files growing up, and I liked that scary once-a-week feeling, um, even though I was pretty young and couldn't watch it at my own house. I had to watch it at my friend Kevin's house. Uh, then I started getting into horror movies, so once I realized I could watch a horror TV show for uh, an hour once a week with a slowly evolving pl- uh, plot, I was sold. And that was that was me discovering American Horror Story. Uh, Tyler, what about you? Um, so, I mean, I've always been a fan of kind of sci-fi, horror, fantasy, the combination of kind of all of the above. Um for as long as I can remember. I remember as a kid, and I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I guess this betrays whoa, my age a little bit. Whoa, but I remember whoa. when I was... You are a child. I remember that uh, I wanted so badly, when I first saw, um, what was it, The Sixth Sense, uh, that movie scared the shit out of me, and I loved it. And I watched that movie so many times over and over again. I did watch The X-Files, too. The X-Files were great. Um, and I guess that's really kind of... On Nick at Night? <laughs> I I think it was on VHS, like full seasons on VHS. <laughs> but um, really, if you think about it, like that's a, a really good point to make. Is Shows like The X-Files were kind of the genesis for American Horror Story. Although, really, since then, I don't feel like we've seen too much of anything like this on TV. Um, which is really what makes, I think, American Horror Story such, uh, so intriguing. Um, to begin with. So I guess let's talk a little bit about kind of um, what we thought about season one, what we liked, what we didn't like, what kind of break it down a little bit. Um, As everyone will remember, season one focused around the Harmon family consisting of Ben and Vivian. That was Dylan McDermott and Connie Britton and their daughter Violet who move into the all famous actors and actresses, right? Who move, who who move into the quote unquote murder house um, and basically just are run into at every from every direction by 
crazy, creepy people. Um, foremost among those, their neighbors, Constance and her son Tate, played by Jessica Lang and Evan Peters, who are both going to be coming back in season two. Both, I thought, the highlight of season one. I thought they were terrific. Um, especially Evan Peters. He was really my, my favorite. Um, I thought that, you know, moment to moment with him, even once you knew that he was a serial killer and had pretty much shot up his entire class, you still were somehow able to sympathize with him from week to week, which I thought was super impressive. I mean, he would continue to torment everybody and somehow, you know, you're still kind of rooting for him. (laughs) I don't know. I thought he he did a great job. You never knew with his character if they would reveal some empathetic uh, characteristic or if you would see the evil part, as we know, the big reveal of the man in the bodysuit, in the rubber suit. R- rubber man. And then at the end, you never knew which way he would fall. Would he be good? Would he be evil? I guess he was never really a good character, but you could sympathize uh, or care for him in the end. Right. And then in the end, you never knew which way he would fall. Would he be good? Would he be evil? I guess he was never really a good character, but you could, uh, but could you sympathize or care for him in the end? And that is a testament to him being a pretty fantastic actor with good material to work with as well. But as you mentioned before, uh, and the critics agree, no one could really hold a flame to Jessica Lang. Oh yeah, she was a tour de force, no doubt about it. I mean, her... The way she was able to convey anger and sadness and just kind of bitterness at the world for kind of having after over so many times. I mean, yeah, she was impressive. And I am so excited that she's going to be playing a new role in this season and what it sounds like a very different role. But I guess that will, you know, stand to be seen. I read an interview that Ryan Murphy gave and he said that um, she gave the best stage performance uh, he's seen ever uh, in A Streetcar Named Desire. So he wanted her from the get-go for season one, and she agreed to it because it was a miniseries, only 12 or so episodes. So it was a short commitment for her, which is why she never uh, actually wanted to do a full season of any other TV show. But also I read she was Southern. I mean, she's Southern living in L.A. <laughs> she got, she's got her accent and flair. Uh, Ryan Murphy said her character was somewhat inspired by Blanche from Golden Girls, which is hilarious. <laughs> It is awesome, and I think she played that off really well. She was able to give her character so much emotion and backstory just, like, in the way she conveyed herself and everything like that without them even going, you know, too in detail. Obviously, we knew a little bit about kind of what she had gone through and everything like that. Um, so, kind of, the ca- for season one, I mean, how did you feel about the way the season ended? Were you happy with it? Uh, it was a little uh, cheesy, happy ending for me. I mean, ghosts decorating Christmas trees. <laughs> Is this a Christmas Carol? I I I don't know. I agree with you, but I I mean I don't know. I felt I I absolutely agree that it was too it was too clean of a wrap up. Um, considering all we kind of already gone through that whole season, it was too it was too clean to have them all kind of decorating the Christmas tree at the end there. And really, the only losers I guess were like you know tape peeking in the window and stuff. The family was reunited and all happy together and everything like that. It was just uh, I'm hoping this. I mean. That season walked the edge so much until the end there. Uh, I'm hoping this season does the same thing, and hopefully, uh, I don't know, I kind of enjoy messy and a little bit here and there. Uh, I will give the writers credit for the way the death scenes happened for our main characters. I mean, obviously the biggest reveal of 
the whole first season for me was realizing that Violet was dead. When he find, when they go look find her under the house, that's the smell they've been smelling and everything like right. that. Right. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, and the way they showed you first before they unfortunately beat you over the head with it is her uh, running uh, or starting in the house trying to escape Tate and, and the house, running through the front door, the camera staying stationary in the middle of the house, and then her coming through the back and then ending up in the same spot and doing it two more times. Uh, huge kudos to, um, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but the actress playing Violet for pulling that off and the realization in her face that she's coming to realize what we're realizing, that she's dead. Thaisa Farmiga, who right. actually I think is the like younger sister of Vera Farmiga, um, who is from, for instance, Up in the Air. She's from a bunch of different movies and stuff like that. Also a fantastic actress, too, so no surprise there. Um, I agree. That was cinem- like Cinematically, that was just shot. Uh, incredibly well the way they were able to convey that and everything like that and really the whole season was the way they were kind of able to play with lighting so much play with shadows um, I mean I mean especially and you see that in a lot with the promos for Asylum too just the cinematography is so unsettling the way they handle it and everything like that I think it's really impressive how much they can convey just with camera angles and that sort of thing Back to the talent of the writers, our main characters' death scenes never really happened as cliffhangers. If you look back to uh, Ben Harmon, we were rooting for him to make it out of the house, even though his character was one of the most annoying for me. But his death comes 15 minutes into the episode. It's things like that, that, um, that because it happens at a moment, you don't expect it. It's not supposed to come across, I think, as a shock value, but more placement in the natural story arc. Right, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know what? Maybe we're not giving the writers enough credit here saying it was a clean ending because I think part of the big reveal for the season one finale um, was the fact that we're realizing when they're all dead, obviously they're not going to have a season two about this same family. I think at this time we were still not quite sure what they were doing with season two. Um, I mean, there was rumors, but it was still kind of up in the air. So by realizing they were all dead and then by kind of ending it cleanly, I guess, it confirmed... Um, you know, our realization that we were going to have season two be entirely different. Um, so I guess that was kind of impressive. I don't think they can pull the same thing in season two anyway, now that we know that's going to be the case. So maybe they will, um, veer kind of from that clean cut model a little bit. The season two of Murder House happened in the last 45 minutes of the last episode with the new family coming in. That, that was their season two. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's only really so much you could do. You know, if they kept doing it in the same house, you would have so many dead things living in that house by the end of it that it would be so hard to keep track of. It would just be crowded and ridiculous. The house had divided uh, into good ghosts and bad ghosts and then it would have just been a battle between uh, the two season after season. I agree. I think it was smart to cut it clean right there um, and kind of move to Asylum. So on that note, is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we kind of segue into season two a little bit? The only other things I would add is Ryan Murphy is big into homages. uh, And to me, season one's biggest influence was Rosemary's Baby. You had the nutty neighbors, the demonic rape to the demonic baby birth. So I'm curious to see what influences will be noticeable in season two. Uh, there's a lot of, yeah, I feel like there's definitely a lot to draw from. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what they choose to plunder there. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll end up talking about that now as we kind of dive into some of the plot and characters of season two. So Brad Felchuk, who is kind of the co-creator, um, you know, Ryan Murphy's partner, has described, he said... Uh, in this article in Entertainment Weekly that he said, to me last year was a family, was a, it was a family drama. This is our version of a workplace drama. Um, so season two asylum is set in an asylum. 
Uh, it's called Briarcliff Manor. Uh, it's set in the year 1964 in Western Massachusetts. So it's set kind of in the past, but there is a draw to the present. We'll talk about more. Um, it was a former tuberculosis ward that was bought by a Catholic church and turned into a sanitarium. And so it's kind of ruled by, you know, it's Catholic priest, I guess, and kind of the nuns that are, are running the show here. So this this second season is really going to have it all. We have uh, some talkings about aliens, aliens, Nazis. Obviously, we have our ghost back and the fact that it's going to be insane. You just... An insane asylum, you know, that's going to be creepy to begin with. I guess before we really dive into this, one thing I kind of want to talk about is, first of all, these ridiculous promo videos that have been kind of going viral all over YouTube and everything, and obviously on shows like FX. Um, they've been fantastic. They're short clips. I mean, probably 15 to 30 seconds each one, no longer. It's like, you know, they'll have a camera in the corner of a whitewashed you know whitewashed room all the walls and floors are white it's like clearly an insane asylum room and then you see like this nun with like a, a pretty much like a mask on and one of those big you know white hats all in white um kind of staring off into the distance and all of a sudden her eyes move toward the camera and then it cuts and then i, I mean, love it when they break that third wall it's like Whoa. i know oh it's it's definitely spine tingling um my favorite one i think of all of them though is uh, it's got the background. I don't know if you've seen this one. It's got the background music, Kesara Sara, um, and it's like this whole line of like um, medical tables. So it goes through all the different characters, or like all the actors that are going to be in the season, and they're all laying on these tables, and like some of them are strapped down because they're crazy. And you kind of see all the characters, and then it kind of goes past all the tables, and it rises up, and you see the priest on one side. I think it's supposed to be like the head doctor on the right, and then Jessica Lang is the main nun, kind of standing in the middle, kind of zooms in on her face cuts but that music in the background is so haunting if you have not seen that video on youtube yet i definitely recommend you go check that out so that's probably the first one they've shown with the actual actors in their roles i would agree i think that's one of the first ones that's like i think that's kind of the official trailer and the rest of them are just kind of creepy viral videos yeah little teasers exactly kind of gets you pumped for season two um so let's talk about some of these characters in season two how they're going to be fitting in and we'll talk a little bit about how the plot's going to lay out so we have four returning actors from season one. Um, we talked already about Jessica Lang and Evan Peters. And Jessica then, Lang, Emmy winner. She, yes. So she will be incredible, no doubt. And then we have Lily Rabe, who was played um, Nora Montgomery. She was the wife of the doctor who was giving abortions, like in the past. The one who wanted, you know, she had her baby taken. She wanted her baby. So she, from season one, is returning in season two as a um, nun. Then we also have Sarah Paulson. Uh, from season one, who played, I think, the medium, right? Am I right, right. there? Yes. And um, she is coming back as a journalist, a lesbian journalist who was committed because, like, I mean, we're talking in the 60s here, Les, you know, being a lesbian was a social moray, and so they put people into asylums for that kind of stuff. I think they're going to be playing a lot in season two. I mean, everyone's not going to be crazy. There's going to just be people who, you know, were breaking. I think that's why they said it in the past. It's just going to be people who were doing untraditional things, taboo things at the time, and were thus considered insane. It would be a Ryan Murphy production if there wasn't an LGBT story. <laughs> you got to have some of that social commentary in there, too, and I'm sure it will be very tasteful. Um, 
So let's talk a minute about Jessica Lang, who they're clearly kind of marketing, I feel like, as the star of this season. Her face is the one that is everywhere. She is playing the head nun named Sister Jude. I get the feeling, and they've kind of commented on this a little bit, she's going to be a nurse ratchet type figure from one, you know, one flew over to the cuckoo's nest type thing. Although I do think she's going to have, I mean, we're going to know more about her than we ever did about nurse ratchet. She's going to have more of a backstory. I think we're going to be able, she's going to be more relatable. Um, so some of the things we know about her so far, she's a stern woman of faith, a big fan of corporal punishment. I do believe I've read that there is going to be a scene in which she is spanking Evan Peters' character repeatedly with like a wooden bat or something like that and really gets a kick out of it. So that should be uh, – we've got some dominatrix action going on there a little bit. She's spanking her son. <laughs> well, her former son. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it'll be creepy on a lot of levels, I have no doubt. Um, so she's a nun who has a lot of bad history – um, there'll be flashbacks of some act, like I don't know, some event that made her turn to God. Something very dark in her past. Of course, all these characters have to, and I feel like that's kind of a Ryan Murphy trademark too. Is all these so many characters have to have dark moments in their past that are still haunting them today, in one form or another. You know, and we really kind of dive into their their mind and what's haunting them there. Um, another thing they've mentioned is that she has a penchant for uh, red lingerie, which should be interesting to see on what. How old is she? Like a 70-year-old woman, too? I mean... Who is she? Whoopi Goldberg and Sister Act? <laughs> and she has vivid fantasies about her Monsignor, who is played by Joseph Fiennes. Also uh, known as Voldemort's brother. Yes, brother of Ray Fiennes. Um, most notably, I think, from as Shakespeare, William Shakespeare and Shakespeare in Love. I don't feel like he's really done a whole lot since that movie, which I don't even remember how long ago was that. At least 10 years, right? I wonder if Gwyneth Paltrow pulled strings to get him that job, uh, just because Ryan Murphy is clearly buddies with Gwyneth Paltrow because she was on Glee for a while, and if she's still buddies with Joseph Fiennes, maybe she hooked him up. She pulled him out of the hole he's been living in for the past 10 years, apparently, and got him all cleaned up for this role. Um, I don't know what to expect from him. I think they haven't given away too many details about him so far. Uh, kind of whether he's going to be kind of on the good guy side or the bad guy side, what we're really supposed to feel about him. Um, so what's his character again? Who is he playing? So he's playing kind of, uh, it's not a, it's not a really, it's a Monsignor. Uh, I don't know. I assume that's like a priest. His name's Timothy O'Hara. I think he is the one kind of in charge, the Catholic individual in charge of the asylum. And so he'll be kind of the one running the show. Um, Him in turn with, James Cromwell. Which is, what are you doing here, James? You're too big for this. I feel, Yeah, he's appeared in some huge stuff, obviously. Um, I'm thinking, you know, Green Mile, uh, what, Six Feet Under. Um, babe, I think of Babe. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there'll be any talking pigs in this one unless they're like flesh-eating pigs. Which, now that I think of it, Francis Conroy from the season, the first season of American Horror Story was on Six Feet Under, and James Cromwell played her boyfriend or her husband for a while, I forget. Um, same casting director, maybe? I think it's quite possible. I think, I don't know. I mean, you wonder that these people kind of have connections and stuff like that. But he is going to be, I feel like, a very enigmatic character. Um, so he's playing this Dr. Arden. Oh, uh, that's what I was also going to say. Most recently, Cromwell was the butler in The Artist, in the silent movie The Artist. Oh, right, right. Which I thought he was very, uh, I mean... We, you really kind of felt for him and everything. I thought he was really warm and everything in that movie. Um, so this is going to be a complete turn. So essentially, 
they haven't outright said it, but it's going to be kind of, he's like, pretty much like a Nazi doctor. He's going to be doing freaky experiments on these inmates. I'm wondering if we're talking about, like, lamps made of human flesh, some really kind of creepy shit like that. Um, he's probably up there on the acting part with Jessica Lang, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. He's going to be someone to watch, for sure. He's going to torture patients and kill them. They're already kind of saying he's going to be conducting these gruesome experiments. Um, he's going to be engineering these creatures they're calling the Raspers. Um, they're mutated humans that he's created through his experiments what? that live in the woods outside of Briarcliff. I don't know if they're just going to yes. go, like they escaped or if he dumped them out there. I'm sure we will learn. But these sound, I mean, I, I'm, we're kind of, that's almost zombie territory. I'm kind of thinking, you know. You know I love my zombies. Oh, same here. So we're going to see some weird, malformed, creepy people out in the woods. There's some combination of disease and everything like that. That will be thoroughly creepy, I have no doubt. So that's what's going to be lurking outside of the Briarcliff Manor, and I'm sure what is lurking inside will be um, equally terrifying. Um, let's move on down the list here. Um, so two other returning characters. We talked about Lily Rabe um, as she was Nora Montgomery in Season 1. Um, she'll be playing Sister Eunice in this season. She's kind of going to be Jessica Lange's right-hand nun. Um, she People are kind of... Uh, she's kind of dismissive. I uh, kind of think she's stupid. So we'll kind of be seeing uh, what role she fulfills. Obviously very different from the one she played in season one. Um, but just another supporting character. Uh, Sarah Paulson, I mentioned, is going to be her character. Or sorry. Her character in this is named Lana. She, her name was Billy Dean Howard. That was the name of the psychic in season one. I mixed that up earlier. Um, so she's a lesbian journalist who was going to, was close to outing the sadism that's going on in Briarcliff is her plot. But um, she, Jessica Lang apparently blackmails her lover, who's a teacher, into basically committing her to the asylum because Jessica Lang somehow finds out that she's about to reveal everything in her, you know, in the newspaper or whatever. And so they blackmail, she blackmails her lover to committing her into the asylum. So that's how she gets there. So I'm assuming as an audience, we're probably going to be rooting for Sarah Paulson's character. That's what I think, too. She sounds like she's going to be one of our protagonists here. She's going to be one of the sane ones, although I would not put it past him to have her fall into some mind-trippy stuff as time goes on. But she's one of the ones we'll probably be rooting for. I assume that part of her agenda will be trying to somehow get out of the Briarcliff and reveal what's going on inside. Um, and it's kind of actually, it reminds me a little bit, that's almost a little bit of a homage to One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest again, because Ken Kesey in writing One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest posed as, you know, a asylum inmate, I believe, and this is at least stories I've heard as legend goes, that he pretended to be, uh, you know, a patient at an asylum because sanitariums were so terrible at that time. And kind of, uh, that's how he learned all about him to write his story. So I feel like that's paying a little bit of homage there too. If a tall Indian man starts suffocating people with pillows, I'm calling plagiarism. <laughs> On my character list, I have not seen anything like that jump up quite yet, but uh, obviously we'll see what happens here. Um, so next, uh, okay, our fourth returning character is Evan Peters. Um, he played Tate in season one. I already mentioned he's my he was my favorite character in season one. In season two, he'll be playing Kit. Um, Kit is a veteran of, I think... I think he's a, like a World War II veteran or something like that. Um, his sanity will be up for debate the entire show because when he comes, when By the way, he, if it was the sixties, wouldn't it be the Vietnam War? Maybe. Oh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> it just said he was a veteran. 
You know that would make sense. He would be my, he would be too old for that. He would have been a baby because yeah, You're young. World War II would have ended in forty five. So young. forgive my lack of history knowledge right there. I do have a minor in history, so clearly I didn't learn anything in college. You um, can edit this out. <laughs> his sanity will be up for debate throughout the entire season. He comes. He's committed to the asylum, claiming that his wife, Almy, it's spelled A L M E. I'm assuming it's Almy. Uh, her name is Brittany Olford from Skins. Um, was me neither. Um, he's claiming she was abduct- abducted by aliens. She's apparently missing. So it's kind of going to be, I'm sure, on our an onus on us to decide whether or not he's really crazy, whether or not these he was really abducted by or she was really abducted by aliens, or whether he killed her. It was apparently so. This his wife was African American, so that was a cultural taboo at the time. I don't know how they're going to play into that, but that was mentioned. So he's going to be committed before he stands trial for essentially being accused of murdering his wife. But they have said for sure that we will actually see these aliens in the show that he is describing. Whether they're in a dream sequence or in some drugged up fantasy, we're not going to be able to tell. But there will be actual a depiction of aliens, which I'm a little apprehensive about. They're said to be, okay, so they've described them as spider-like creatures with eight legs and sharp teeth. Um, I'm thinking that's going to be pretty CGI heavy. We'll see how that's done. I feel I would almost prefer that they just stick with the human elements a little bit. You're right. If they do go down this road of showing an alien or two, I would hope they would do it more the style of signs where you see a foot or a rustle in the bushes. And that's much scarier than seeing a computer generated Mm -hmm. razor teeth spider alien that's much scarier i agree with you there i think that's something we'll be definitely watching for um and and, but i mean they've handled everything so well thus far um that'll be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out one more thing to add about evan peters ryan murphy said he will be one of our heroes so he will be one of our main protagonists total turnaround from last season if we're wondering whether or not he murdered his wife, maybe it will be somewhat similar. You know, maybe we'll be rooting for him, but at the same time, we don't know if he's crazy. One thing I'm wondering is maybe they'll kind of play us through his eyes a little bit. You know, maybe episode one will be he arrives at the asylum just as kind of we arrive at the asylum as viewers. That would seem to me to kind of be the most logical way to do it a little bit. Uh, and so we kind of follow him around to see he meets all the different inmates and stuff like that. That could be cool. Then we get flashbacks of their characters' histories. Right, right, which I, I think this, we're definitely seeing some parallels between this and Lost too. but I do want, I want to talk about that a little bit later as we continue on. Uh, okay, another guy, uh, another one of the cast that's already been cast, Mark Consuelos, he's playing a character named Spivy, another inmate. You may know him as Mateo Santos uh, in All My Children for 15 years from 1995 to 2010. Dude, I know him from what my grandma watches, which is Kelly Ripa's husband. Oh, really? <laughs> well, this should be interesting. He will be playing a bully here. Um, clearly a pretty boy in the past, but I have a feeling he will not be so pretty in this season. Well, as we saw in season one, we saw a lot of tangential peripheral characters. It's true. And you know what? Character actors, I mean, what better role? Each character that they have, is, even though there are so many characters, each one of these has such a big personality. They get to the backstory so quickly. Um, there's no flat characters. And really. I feel like you're about to lead into another famous character. Are you referring to Chloe Seven Wait, what? She's in this? She is. You may know her from Big Love. She is going to be playing an inmate, a nymphomaniac. Which isn't too far of a stretch for her. She's been with Vincent Gallo on screen doing something. Google it. Or don't Google it. Or don't. <laughs> anyway, Chloe Savigny, she's a she's an indie darling. Yeah, right. 
And so I have no doubt that she will be a compelling character. Um, her name is Shelly. She's another inmate. Kind of going down our inmate list, we have one more I want to talk about here. Um, Lizzie Brochere. Brochure, Brochere. She's a French actress. Um, she has this. I was looking kind of at her, what she's been in the past. This looks like it's her real first kind of American break. Most of what she's done so far is French. Although I heard her doing an interview and she has, she had almost no trace of an accent. Um, but she is going to be kind of playing opposite Evan Peters' character, Kit, as I assume kind of his love interest a little bit. Um, she's very mysterious, it sounds like. Um, so they're going to kind of be a pair as going forward. I assume that we're going to root for her, too. So she's going to be just another one of our protagonists. The one I was waiting for you to say is Zachary Quinto. That, yeah, exactly. He is the next one. You know what? I, I said we only we have four people returning. Obviously, we have five because we have him, too. And he played such a fundamental role in season one. He was very fantastic in his role last season as the one part or as one part of a gay couple dealing with unrequited love. He has he had one of the more uh, tragic storylines. He really did. And you know what? He managed to be both funny and terrifying. I kind of felt at the same time, which was really interesting. Um, had a lot of personality, clearly. In this season, it sounds like he's playing more of a character that I would have expected him to play before he came into season one of American Horror Story. He's playing... Um, it's, his name is Dr. Thredson. He's going to be a modern-thinking psychiatrist who clashes with uh, Sister Jude. That's Jessica Lang's character. Um, so he'll be kind of the yin to your, her, her yang. Um, but who knows what it means by modern thinking? I mean, for all we know, that could mean shock therapy. So maybe he will be a villain in his own right, too. Um, that'll be interesting to see. But he thinks that the Catholic methods are barbaric. I assume he's also kind of at odds with... Um, the character played by James Cromwell. And so, uh, to, okay, so in 1964 is when it, it said, uh, here's kind of the cross to modern times. There is going to be a villain roaming Briarcliff in 1964, a serial killer on the loose known as Bloody Face. This character supposedly wears a mask of victim's flesh. If you, they already do have a photo of this character getting his uh, flesh mask put on. If you go to Google Image Search and Google or and search for um, "bloody face American Horror Story," you can already see a picture of it. Pretty gross, and that's with the big, you know, makeup lights beaming down on him. I suppose it will only be more terrifying seeing it with the appropriate lighting and music to accompany it. Um, but so he's going to be kind of the guy haunting Briarcliff. There's going to be some speculation that maybe he is kind of the alter ego of Kit. So that will be interesting to see. Um, he wears victim flesh. He wears victim's flesh on his face. He wears a black nightie and opera length gloves. So kind of a Phantom of the Opera homage there a little bit too. I don't know what that's all about. That's creepy. Like a black nightie, like like a grandma's nightie. Hmm. It doesn't go into too much detail about it, but I'm sure we will see. I do agree, though. My first thought is a wonder is I wonder which character will turn out to be the killer. Right. You know it's going to be – maybe that will be one of our big reveals. Maybe that's our version of Rubber Man in season two, kind of. It reminds me of what the smoke monster is for Lost. It's not the central storyline, but it's the mystery that strings you along the narrative. I think that's a good call on their part, though, to have that sort of mystery because you know you're going to come. What do you mean? It's going to keep us guessing, and I'm sure that'll be something that comes up in every episode, is what clues do we think is the who bloody face might be. And each episode will have our speculation on it. Um, so it's going to start, the show, from what I understand, is going to start in modern times with, with, as you know, or as you may have heard, Adam Levine of Maroon 5. Um, 
him and Jenna Dewan Tatum, um, who apparently was in Step Up and also briefly appeared in the Playboy Club. I'm a big fan of the Step Ups. <laughs> She's a great dancer. Well, we will. Oh, is she really? Well, we will see how well her dancing moves are utilized in uh, in the show. <laughs> but she'll uh, bloody face to a dance off. And maybe that will be our happy ending to season two. But um, they are going to be newlyweds in modern day who are on a haunted honeymoon tour and want to stop at the supposedly deserted Briarcliff to see this, you know, haunted sanatorium where everyone's gone now. Or are they gone? Because apparently they are pretty much haunted by this bloody face. Who, is it a ghost? Is it this person is still alive somehow? I'm sure we will find out. It sounds a lot like Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th, you know, serial killer who won't die thing. Exactly. I think that is kind of, once again, we're pulling from different horror movies. I think that is sort of the kind of role it will play. I'm wondering how much they'll actually play in the present I'm assuming not so much because I have a feeling between uh, Adam Levine and the girl from Step Up, we're not going to have a whole lot of acting bang on their end. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what what are your thoughts on Adam Levine? Okay, I I don't know what to think because he certainly has personality. Um, I'm not a big watcher of The Voice, but I have seen episodes of it, and he is definitely the most compelling judge, I feel like, on there as far as, uh, you know... Off the cuff, he seems to be well-spoken. I wouldn't be surprised if he is, uh, conveys emotion pretty well. But we'll, we will see. I don't th- I mean, he's got, he's up against, you know, between Jessica Lange and, um, J- James Cromwell. I do and watch stuff. the voice on Hulu, and, and he's pretty funny. They're all funny, but he's great. Uh, to me, it seems that it's, that it's the go-to cliche, at least in every teenage slasher films, which I love. They've always had at least, like, one pop star, a rap star, a cultural star. In uh, Freddy versus Jason, they had Kelly Rowland. In House of Wax, they had Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, that's that's. Unless he's the opening kill. <laughs> so in a way, that's its own form of homage. Anyway, maybe they'll. Although I, they, I would assume that they let him live until the end of the season, unless we only just have to watch, sit and watch. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how much they play in modern day. I have a feeling it will be heavily. It'll be mostly the past because that seems to be where most of our characters are living. But um, they'll kind of use tiebacks. I'm sure that we will learn things about the past by having them bust into rooms and that sort of thing or find artifacts in the supposedly deserted Briarcliff in the modern day. That could be really cool, the future tense of what's happening at the site where everyone used to be. Well, we're playing with flashbacks, which, again, is another thing they're kind of borrowing from season one a little bit with, you know, um, the Montgomery family and their baby and everything like that. Obviously, that was just a small part, but here maybe it'll be something that comes up a lot more. Um, there's one more character I do want to talk about. Uh, it was just announced last week. They don't have too many details on who he will be playing. But Emmy winner Mark Morgalis um, will be playing a character named Sam Goodwin. He is best known uh, as Tio, Uncle Tio Salamanca on Breaking Bad. Um, you may know, so that would be Tuco's drug lord uncle, you know, the one who was suffering from a stroke and a you know, wheelchair bound. And wouldn't rat out Brian Cranston's character. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have a feeling he will be talking a little bit more than he did in this. So it should be interesting to see. But he will play a recurring character. There is so clearly there's a lot of acting punch punch in here. So it'll be really exciting to follow all these characters. I think there's a lot of talent. I think there's a lot of stories. And that kind of leads me into uh, I want to talk a little bit about our expectations and concerns for this season. I feel like clearly we're dealing with a lot of characters. I mean, we did so in season one as well. But I think what made season one successful is we started with our few base characters. We started with 
the Harmon family as our core and kind of everything that happened, it all revolved around the Harmon family dynamic, right? We didn't, you know, as Zachary Quinto's character came in, as all these different characters showed up later, we kind of only learned about them from episode to episode. Whereas there's already so much leaked already about who all these different people are. I mean, look at this laundry list we just went through. All these characters already have their backstories coming out. That's a lot of ground to cover. Right. There, there might be too much information already divulged. Any information that comes along now will have to be that much more interesting to keep people engaged. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, and I mean, to, on that note, I'm concerned about us. You know, the focus on each character because how much are we going to be able to dive into each individual's character's backstory if there's so many characters' backstories we have to go into. And so, especially in twelve episodes, that's not even a full season of TV. Exactly. So they don't have that much time to deal with. And so I think a key will really be, hopefully, and I think maybe this is what they're doing with Jessica Lange. Maybe this is what they're doing with Evan Peters. They're going to pick a few key characters that are kind of um, the ones we follow, and then your James Cromwells, your Joseph Fines, all those sort of characters. We're going to see. Not as much of them. We're going to learn a little bit about them, but we're really going to mostly dig into kind of our few key characters. And they'll have these other people who are evolving kind of around them. I think it can work too, just because if you look at some of the most successful TV shows on right now, the cast is just vast uh, in terms of how many people there are on the show. Oh, and exactly. That's the same thing. I mean, we might end up calling it later kind of the... um, the Glee epidemic or something like that, because essentially what ends up happening is you get so many characters that you end up focusing on two characters for an entire episode and you don't hear about their narrative arc for another four episodes. So you're stuck like you almost don't remember what happened to them. I think that's an easy trap to fall into. However, there are a lot of shows that do it well. Um, Lost kind of walked the line. Sometimes that, you know, it was frustrating not to hear about a story for weeks, but other times it was really interesting to hear about a backstory of a character we didn't even hardly know about. Um, but there are, I mean, huge cast is kind of a big thing these days. I'm thinking, you know, Game of Thrones, which were obviously filled to the brim of characters, and they do it so well, and they pull it off. So I think that it is possible to pull it off. I think that they'll have to be careful, uh, but I'm excited to see how they do it. At least they're all in one location, like the murder house from season one. So even if we don't see the characters, we know they're there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how they play into it but um what themes do you think brad and ryan will hit on this season i think religion is going to be clearly one of the driving factors if they're having catholics run um an institution then clearly religion is going to play a big role and i think that they will treat it more kindly than people realize i think that you're you know uh obviously ryan murphy's made it clear he's an uber liberal um so you're going to obviously think he's going to lean toward anti-religion you know anti-catholicism type stuff um, considering their viewpoint on things like gay marriage and that sort of thing. But from what I understand, I mean, we're going to realize that Sister Jude, that's Jessica Lange's character, really is a woman of faith, really does, you know, is sincere in her beliefs, um, really does feel like she found some sort of salvation from some darker side of herself. So I'm interested, to, I'm interested to see how they treat it. Um, I think that they'll be even-handed. I mean, what do you think? I hope for the best, and I hope that they treat her character with a lot of care, as she is the show's prized possession. Absolutely. I think that she she is the, the apple of his eye, so to speak. Um, clearly, we'll be talking about cultural taboos. We'll be talking about things like, um, you know, interracial marriage. We'll be talking about things like, um, you know, sexuality. I mean, uh, clearly sexuality. I mean, we've got a lesbian journalist, and we have an infomaniac. Um, what I worry about is I, I know Ryan Murphy likes to push the envelope um, 
and he wants people to be more socialized or perhaps desensitized to something like a gay relationship. I'm thinking of, you know, his new show, new, The New Normal. Um, I just hope that because this takes place in the 60s, that it's not a sugar-coated everyone accepts everyone in the end. Because back then it wasn't really like that. There wasn't there was there were a lot more obstacles and fights these people in these situations had to overcome. Absolutely. I'm not saying this is going to be a drama about overcoming adversity, but it should just portray the issues accurately, you know, like Mad Men does with sexism. Well, and that's what I was saying partly about it, you know, hopefully um not having a clean ending this time. Because I I mean I think there's a lot of aspects of it that I don't know how this could have a clean ending. It'll be interesting to see. Um, but I do feel like, obviously, in his other shows, and his other shows are a lot different from American Horror Story, have a um, a little bit of a tendency to be, uh, I mean, to they try to teach you a lesson too much a little bit. I mean, he is trying to show you, you know, what a modern gay relationship should be like and how, you know, what, how, how they suffer and that sort of thing. And I think that... And who a bully is, even though everyone on Glee is a bully. <laughs> in, in their own right, really. Um I think it will be really interesting. I mean, I hope that he doesn't fall into too much, like, trying to teach us a moral lesson about these things, because I think that doesn't fit in the more, that doesn't fit in the American Horror Story universe. And I think that part of what made season one so great is that every character kind of had their demons. Maybe Vivian, she was more of a victim than anybody else, but at the same time, I thought she was a little bit more boring than everybody else. I thought it was more compelling to people that were all. Oh, God. Woman, get out yeah, of your house. Yeah, she was too self-righteous. I like the ones that were dealing... I, I mean, I, I thought Dylan McDermott did a pretty good job fighting, you know, dealing with his demons and everything like that. Clearly, Tate was dealing with his demons on a regular basis, as was Constance. And like we said, that will be a, a recurring theme, as I, I assume, for this second season as well. Um, anything else that you expect to see that you're looking forward to? One of the biggest issues of story arc of season one, which I hope doesn't make it into over into season two was how the Harmons literally literally ran circles for three quarters of the season. Like, I mean, that's typically how horror stories uh, start off, and people don't people don't listen or you don't learn the truth until it's too late. But Connie Britton's character was so frustrating; she just kept running circles. Her husband, like, her husband ships her off to an insane asylum, and she and she's okay to go back. You know, I just hope they aren't there aren't any stupid characters. Well, and I wonder if and that you know. Um... If that's part of the reason they have so many more elements in this one. Obviously, I mean, they had a lot of elements in season one, but the murder house, I mean, it all came down to you find out that once people die in the murder house, they can't leave, right? That was ultimately the what we end up learning about season one. Whereas it already sounds like between, I mean, aliens, bloody face, Nazis, sadistic nuns, we have a lot of elements going here. The raspers who are living in the woods, I mean... It, it could be too, it could be too much, but maybe it'll keep. A, I mean, maybe it'll be good, and it'll keep that from happening. So it'll be interesting to see how the writers balance it. I have faith in them, but I think we will look at it critically as well. Um, He's got a plateful. Yeah, I agree absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, so before we start to kind of wrap up here, is there anything else you want to say about season two? No, I'm just very eager for it to start. Let's go. Hey, me as well. I cannot wait for this to start. Um, it'll get dark early. You'll have time to kind of settle in, turn all the lights off, turn the TV on. Uh, once again, the premiere is October 17th at 10 p.m. Eastern on FX. Um, so how this podcast is kind of going to work, um, episodes, like we said, will be coming out every, um, after every episode. We'll, we'll break it down and, and put it out there, our review. 
Um, you can find these in a couple different places. We will have them on iTunes, hopefully. We will have them on uh, available for stream on our website. That is um, thisamericanhorrorstory.com. And we will also, uh, you can get there also by liking us on Facebook. That is This American Horror Story Podcast on Facebook. So please go there and please like us. Um, you can send your comments or questions to us via email at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. Um, we will, uh, if, if they're any good, we'll read them on there. And um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at TJMoss11. And I'm at Chris Husted. That's K-R-I-S-H-U-S-T-E-D. So check us out there. Um, hope you uh, found what we had to say interesting. We hope you're as excited as we are for Season 2 of American Horror Story, Asylum. And uh, at this point, all I can say is that we will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everybody.